We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show today. We're talking about the Gamecocks and the Belk Bowl, recapping a disappointing 28 to nothing loss to Virginia Cavaliers. Also, some news and notes we're going to get to, as well as an interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver, 20-year military veteran, Tim Frisbee. You know him better as Pops. We have a great conversation coming up with him as well. Before we get into all of that, the show is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Just because football season's over, does not mean you can't good, get good use out of SeatGeek. Obviously, college basketball is in full swing. We've got baseball season coming up. There's tons of concerts, events going on in 2019. So be sure to download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP to get $20 off your first purchase. The best ticket buying app, in my opinion, by far. They've actually got a ticket rating system to which they rate the tickets for um, how much money you're spending. So if it's a red meter, you know if you're getting ripped off or if you're not getting a great deal. If it's a green meter, you know you're getting a steal or you're getting, a, get, getting really good value for the tickets you're buying. It's the only ticket buying app I use. Again, use the promo code SPURSUP. Get $20 off your first purchase. Again, college basketball, NFL, the playoffs are coming up if your team's in it. Uh, tons of stuff coming up. So, again, download SeatGeek. Use our promo code. That's SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, for $20 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips. He's Thomas Floyd. Tom, first off, Happy New Year. Um, obviously, we're talking about the game that happened, but first I want to talk to you. How was, uh, how was your New Year? Obviously, this is the first show of 2019. It is New Year's Day when we're recording this. Um, how was your New Year's Eve, and uh, uh, how was your weekend? Uh, New Year's Eve was um, a fun night because, you know, we're recording this later in the afternoon and not in the morning like we originally planned, but um, – <laughs> We both had a good time, but, uh, I mean, it was fun. Not much to complain about other than, you know, Carolina playing like absolute dull crap. But other than that, it's all weekend for me. How about you? It was pretty good. New Year's Eve was fun. Kept it kind of low-key, but did have a good time. Obviously, we celebrated uh, hitting 4,000 followers on Twitter. So, pretty good, pretty cool thing for us, I guess you could say. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, I saw your Patriots locked up the two seeds. I'm sure they're probably going to make a run and win the Super Bowl again even after – Everybody was making fun of them, so I'm not looking forward to that. But, yeah, other than that. Panthers made the playoffs? 
Oh, of course not. No, no, no. That's the beauty of it. I'm not a diehard fan. So, I mean, I'm all South Carolina. So, that's – Join the bandwagon for a couple of weeks. Well, the thing is, too, is like the, the Panthers really screwed themselves because you go and beat New Orleans. Really, Carolina and New uh, Atlanta screwed themselves. I think Atlanta dropped from the seventh overall pick, the 14th overall pick by winning that nice. game. I'm just – it's literally just like, hey, tell tell your kicker, just miss this. You know what you're doing. Just miss the kick. So, yeah, it's pretty funny. But, yeah, let's get right into it, obviously. The Belk Bowl, recapping that game. South Carolina comes out. Uh, what better way to put it than South Carolina just lays an egg? I mean, Gamecocks get fully throttled, lose 28 to nothing to Virginia. Um, as many of you know, I was in the building. I was at Bank of America Stadium watching it, stayed to the very end. Um, I'll start with you though, Tom. Give us your initial reaction as to what we saw on Saturday. Uh, it was just overall, I mean, pretty terrible offensively. I don't really know if we just if we just didn't show up to practice. Like if everybody on the offense was like, we're just going to come to the game and then we're going to play and see what happens because that's what it looked like. There wasn't really a coherent game plan that they stuck to. Obviously, I mean, if you lay an egg on the board against Virginia, I think you saw what happened when you don't have a guy like Debo Samuel on your offense, but. I mean, you just kind of have to expect against a team like Virginia when you're really only missing two of your key players. Obviously, Zach Bailey is a big, a very big key, and so is Debo. But you figure with a month's preparation, you have time to figure out a way to put some points to the board against an ACC opponent in Virginia that most people thought we would, you know, beat pretty well. Most by people, most people thought we beat Virginia by at least two scores, but just an overall embarrassing performance. I mean, defensively, there's not much more you could ask holding Virginia to 28, considering how many injuries there were. And, I mean, Joseph, Tar- Joseph Charlton had a pretty good game, and Parker White missed his one kick. But, I mean, offensively, I, I just don't understand how they played so bad. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, defensively, uh, especially when you look at the time of possession, I mean, Virginia, I think, held the ball for over 40 minutes. So, I mean, when you think about that, you think about what you're playing with on defense, um, I don't think there's really much more you could have asked in the Gamecocks defensively. But, yeah, you know, just being in the building, there, there was a very strange energy going into kickoff. I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I just really thought it showed on the field with the team that, you know, here's the thing with us, obviously being fans, being people who, um, you know, watch and analyze and give opinions on the team. We can look ahead. We can take opponent for granted, take an opponent for granted. We can say what we want, whatever, but it almost felt like that energy bled into the team because I don't really know how else you can describe what we saw on Saturday. I mean, Brian Edwards had a quote after the game saying that, he didn't feel like they were ready to play. And, I mean, that to me is probably the most troubling thing. And you could see on the field. I mean, South Carolina comes out. You feel like they're getting some early momentum, good on the field. And then on fourth and one, uh, fourth and short, if you will, try a play-action pass to Rico Dowdle, which I don't know how you think that's the best play call with the troubles that Rico's had of the backfield catching the football. But South Carolina can't convert. And it just really felt like after that, Tom, that, the air was really sucked out of the sideline. I mean, we'll start on offense just because what we saw. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say, really. I, I, I really – you could have bet a large sum of money. You could have bet me a large sum of money that if South Carolina scores zero, um, this happens. And I would have bet my life on that South Carolina. Because I thought Virginia would score. I mean, 28, if you told me before the game, hey, Virginia's going to score 28, do you still think you win? I'd say, yes, I, I think South Carolina's probably going to score 35 or 38. So – for the Gamecocks to come out and just get absolutely blanked, it is, it's embarrassing, like you said. I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to say it's, you know, because I think what's unfair right now is people before the bowl game were saying, well, you know, win or lose, this doesn't define your program. This isn't like a national championship game. This isn't, you know, it, 
win or lose, it's not going to completely alter the progress and it's not going to stop the progress that South Carolina has made. But it's so funny after you lose in the fashion they lost, man, the Twitter hot takes, the social media hot takes on the program, fire everyone was outrageous. Um, you know, offensively, just watching Jake Bentley, you know, we've been his biggest critics, obviously, Tom. I didn't think Jake Bentley was solely to blame in any way for the offensive struggles on Saturday. I mean, obviously he didn't play his best game, but I thought the, the guy that South Carolina missed the most was Zach Bailey because I'm not sure I've seen Jake Bentley run for his life quite as much as he did um, on Saturday afternoon. What did you see as a whole from the offense? Did you see anything different with Jake Bentley as far as his play again? I don't think he played well by any stretch. But I definitely think the struggles of the offense went way beyond Jake Bentley in this game. I mean, I don't think it was his worst game of all time. I could tell that having a fresh, a true freshman center playing his first ever game in an in a NFL stadium, I mean, pretty much, a, a, not I don't say an away game, but it's not, not like he's playing at home against some Joe Schmo school. He's playing against a real opponent in Virginia, and he had to go out there, Hank Manos, and play. And he, he didn't do really well, I would say, considering the high snaps he had a lot of times. I saw multiple people complaining about that on Twitter, and I agree. They weren't good, and I think it kind of hurt the rhythm with Bentley some, because I don't think – I don't remember one time him pulling the ball on his own read just because he, he was just had to hand it off every time because what his options were. But overall, I mean, offensively, I just don't get – I mean, our leading rusher was Rico Dowdle, who had six carries for 21 yards. Like, we yeah. just didn't get – and then mine has three for 15 – and it's not – and Tyson goes four for nine. H.H. Turner's having to play defense because of the injuries there. But, I mean, you don't even try to run the ball. And you look at Virginia, and they go 26 for 106. So they're leading rushing. And Bryce Perkins has 15 for 81. I mean, that's – when you get beat in the running game 205 to 43 in terms of yards, you're going to lose the game every time. And it's just – that's just what it is at this point. And for us to – I would have assumed against Virginia we'd be able to run the ball. And I don't understand why we didn't try more. I, I really don't. I mean, I understand – some of it you get down, you kind of get down later, and you just kind of got to start throwing it around. But when Jake's not having his best day, you kind of got to get something else going. And I just don't really understand. I mean, Jake, it's the game is definitely not all the blame on Jake Bentley whatsoever. The incompetence of the running backs and the running back coach. I mean, let's just call it for what it is, Bobby Bentley. And but the mismanagement and just the lack of production from that running back room. I mean. You know, look, this is looking ahead, but something has got to change going into 2019 because this – I'll tell you the one thing I'm sick of. This whole play one running back this this series and we play another guy the next series and another guy the next – it just has to stop. I mean, this is – it's so counterproductive what they're doing on offense as far as trying to run the football. Um, You know, and we're going to get into a little bit later in the show kind of my feelings going forward and going to 2019 about the running game and the running backs in general. But, you know – <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I just like you're saying, Tommy. You're you're not gonna get out rushed two hundred five to forty three and win very often, if if ever. Um, and yeah, like you're saying, on the days when Jake Bentley does not have his best stuff, you have to have some sort of a running game. And like you're saying, I mean, Mon Denson three carries for fifteen yards. I mean, he's averaging five a pop and he gets three carries. I just I, I don't understand the the philosophy or the game plan there. I'll be honest with you, Tom. It really looked like South Carolina on offense didn't have a game plan. It really looked like they they did not practice one time from the opening of practices to the bowl game. I mean, you could have convinced me, hey, this team actually didn't practice at all. I mean, like, you know what? That actually makes kind of, that kind of makes sense because, I mean, what we saw on Saturday, I mean, again, I just I think missing Zach Bailey obviously hurt. I know missing Debo Samuel definitely hurt. And it, it was crazy the reactions from people. Um, on Saturday that wanted to give, uh, you know, give Debo Samuel grief. <coughs> Excuse me. 
that wanted to give Debo Samuel grief after everyone's saying and agreeing, hey, this is the best thing for him. You know, he should definitely sit out, uh, get ready for the NFL, stay healthy, stuff like that. Um, I know he would have helped, but I'm still not upset at his decision to sit out. But people freaking out just on social media was insane. I mean, really, just insane. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely think in the running game, South Carolina's just going to have to do something different. I mean, this whole try to play three, four guys is just – it's not working. It's counterproductive, if anything. Um, I mean, you look at the defense, like you said, Tom, I thought South Carolina did everything they could. I mean, you're out there playing seven freshmen at some times. I mean, it's crazy the amount of young guys that South Carolina played. One of the big storylines on defense, though, for South Carolina came um, with Rashad Fenton, the defensive back. You know, he doesn't play the second half. I remember specifically when he got the pass interference, was just clapping and waving his arms around like like he normally does. Um, yeah. But doesn't play the second half. Will Muschamp has asked about it in the postgame presser and basically said that Rashad Fenton made that decision to sit out the second half. Um, Bryce Allen Williams, you know, was also asked about it. He actually said that uh, Rashad Fenton, I guess, hurt his groin maybe, I think is what he said. But what do you take from Will, Will Muschamp's comments on Rashad Fenton and him supposedly sitting out the second half? I mean, it's pretty terrible, in my opinion, for a guy who's supposed to be your shutdown corner and your number one guy. I mean, if you didn't want to play in the game and you didn't want to – I mean, if you're going to sit out the second half, why not just sit out the whole game? I mean, if, I mean, really, at this point, why come out and just get play half tail and then you get a flag on you sitting there clapping when you're getting your tail burned? I mean, I mean, look at the number one receiver, Oladam Zacchaeus, 12 receptions for 100 yards and three touchdowns, and that's <laughs> on Rashad Fenton. I mean, like, straight up. If he'd have been playing – I mean, if he'd have been playing the second half, he probably limits him some. I just don't – I don't get it, man. It just doesn't make sense. I don't understand why you just would stood out that last game of your career. And I know it's going to hurt his stock when it comes to the draft. I mean, honestly, the way he's played the last – this year from the majority of it, it's like, why would you even draft a kid? Yeah, he, he's been disappointing, and I think that's putting it very, very nicely. Um, and then, obviously, you know, it just doesn't help when you have these crazy on-field antics. When, you like you said, you're getting burned, you're – you know, having be high on you, you're sitting there clapping about it. I mean, I didn't come with really any fiery hot takes on social media just because I'm like, you know what, I don't know the whole story, but I will agree with you. If he just sat out just to sit out, that's – I'm glad he's graduating. I mean, I don't yes, know how else to put it. So, I mean, I think that South Carolina has shown their best defensive back as a true freshman. And probably next season, their top three defensive backs are going to be two sophomores and a freshman when you really think about it. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I mean, again, I just thought defensively. I mean, I know the numbers don't look great. What was crazy about the game, too, is that the way Virginia was moving the football and that they really weren't, in my opinion, hitting any type of crazy big plays. It was just so frustrating, just nickel and diamond. I mean, literally nickeling and diamond. You know, we talked about we were worried about Bryce Perkins coming in this game, and I think he showed why for good reason. I mean, the guy definitely proved to me he can throw the football around. We knew what he could do. I really honestly thought Virginia <clears> – <throat> I know he carried it 15 times, but I didn't feel like they ran the uh, – what am I – what's the word I'm looking for? They didn't, run the, yeah, they didn't run the RPO game quite as much as I thought they would as far as just with the running back and him and him reading the end. I thought that was a deadly play. I mean, the couple of times they did run it, I, I thought South Carolina had absolutely no answer. Um but, I mean, overall, again, this was a Virginia team that came in that I'll still say did not have an impressive win really all season. Um, ended their year with a win over a really below-average Virginia Tech team. And just a game where I think South Carolina came out and got dominated in every, every aspect. I, mean, I really don't understand and can't fathom 
<clears throat> how you have a month to get ready. You have a month to get ready to play and you come out and have that type of performance. I mean, I really don't, I really almost just can't fathom how that happens, but it did. I mean, as far as moving ahead, Tom, because obviously, you know, South Carolina moves into um, the 2019 year, you know, we flipped the calendar. How do you affect, how do you think this affects the program moving forward? I mean, a lot of people, again, have had their, have had their opinions basically feeling like the sky is falling. And I, I'm sure um, many of you listening to this on my edition of the Daily Crow yesterday, where I'd, I don't normally try, find myself trying to be the voice of reason, but I really felt like, you know, listen, it was as disappointing as it could come. I mean, I, I was dejected when I left the stadium. I had no words. I mean, there's really nothing I could say. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think the sky is falling. I mean, for as miserable as a game it was, I mean, South Carolina still goes into 2019 with good momentum. Um, it's just extremely disappointing. And it's, it's disappointing, especially with you knowing that it's on a national stage, national TV, and like you said, just an embarrassing performance. But how, what's your take on this game as a whole, how it affects the South Carolina program and what Will Muschamp is building as we move into 2019? Well, originally, when I was, we were talking about the game last week, I was like, if they lose, I mean, it sucks, but obviously it's not there in the world. But I'm not, I'm not there yet. A lot of people are saying, you know, fire everyone. But it's a, it's a terrible look. The guys didn't look like they wanted to be there. They didn't look like they wanted to play. I mean – you watch those guys from UCF and, you know, LSU play today in both sides of the football. Those guys came ready to play. And, I mean, maybe it's because they're playing in, like, the Fiesta Bowl or whatever, and they probably got better stuff than the Belk Bowl. But, I mean, still, you should fight. your guys should be fired up regardless. I mean, that's on Muschamp. The guys, they came out flat. There's nothing else to it. I mean, the coaching changes need to happen. I would say at the running back position, the def- defensive line position, yeah. I mean, nothing and linebackers, nothing else to it at this point. I mean, those are the places that are underperforming, and that's where you need something to happen at. And, Going into all season, I don't know who you bring in, but I, I, those guys just aren't getting it done. And it's year three. I mean, it's 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 on them at this point. There's no – well, now it's year four technically, but it was year three previously. But, I, I mean, just it's just, just, just such a disappointing loss and something that even before the game I was like, you know, we might lose, but at least it'll be close and it won't it won't haunt the rest of your off season. But this is going to haunt the rest of the off season, and it's going to be on everybody's mind going into the North Carolina game next year in Charlotte. I mean, nothing yeah. else to it. And especially with the whole comments that were made from South Carolina players about, you know, we're, we're, we're basically trying to say that they want to bully Virginia. You know, we're the SEC team. We, we feel like we should handle business against a, a lesser opponent. I think one of our guys called them a lesser opponent. I mean, I love it. I love the smack talk. But if you're going to talk trash, you got to back it up on the field. And you certainly can't get shut out. I mean, just, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it, it all, you know, listen, I'm not on the – <clears throat> I'm not on the fire coach will must champ train. I think anyone that really looks at the situation rationally knows you're not going to build a successful football program if you're firing coaches every three years or if you fire a coach after his third season. But I mean, it's got to come back to will must champ for sure. Ha- not having the guys ready to play. I mean, that, that's just such a basic thing to do. It's like, Hey, win or lose, we're going to give our best effort. You know, we're not going to come out there. And like you said, I mean, it just, <clears throat> it almost felt like South Carolina wasn't even interested in being there, which is, which is so hard to fathom. I mean, you have the opportunity to get your eighth win of the season, get a win over an ACC team, um, and you just simply just don't even show up, to, to, to put it nicely. I mean, it's just – I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with you in that sense. I mean, again, I, I don't think that – again, I'm not discouraged on the whole direction of the program. I mean, I, this is the way I look at it. I'm not going to really single any guys out individually. I've talked about one already, but I think South Carolina – is almost getting addition by subtraction with, I think they're, some of these older guys, some of these veterans, some of these seniors, I'm, 
and then Tom, this is going to sound harsh, but I'm almost glad to see him tra- or see them graduate because, yeah, you know, you don't know. We'll, we'll never really know what the energy was inside the locker room unless we can get somebody from the team that just graduated on the podcast, which would be awesome. So I might need to actually do that. But, anyways, it, you know, we'll never really know probably what that dynamic is like. But I have to feel like with some of these guys, there had to be some sort of toxic energy or just something rubbing off on the team because, you know, just you could just feel it. I mean, the way, and the way it looks Saturday from some of these guys, I mean, again, you got a guy sitting out the second half. I mean, that's just, <clears throat> it just can't be tolerated. It's not acceptable. So can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think South Carolina, the sky is not falling. I think South Carolina is, they're going to be better days. They're going to be more fun days to be a Gamecock fan. South Carolina is bringing in some really nice pieces. So I don't want fans to take this game and say, well, just throw it all away, start from scratch, get rid of must champ. I don't think you can do that, but I 100% you know, understand fans being frustrated. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, I just don't think that type of performance we saw cannot be tolerated. Absolutely not. I mean, you, like you're saying, if you get beat, fine. I mean, if you get beat, that's, that's completely fine. If that other team's better than you, so be it. I mean, I think that's why South Carolina fans were encouraged after the Clemson game. You get, did you get beat? Fine. But you gave it all you had. You played a good game, and you just weren't good enough in the end. But a performance – Excuse me, a performance like we saw on Saturday, just it's just not acceptable. Um, let's get into our biggest takeaways, Tom, from the game. What's uh, what's your biggest takeaway from Saturday? Uh, just that everyone has to get healthy during the offseason, and we have to find a way to address the injuries and why they're happening so frequently. I mean, I've never seen a defense is just riddled by injuries as ours was. I mean, it seems like there was at least 10 guys out for the bowl game and even more than that for the Clemson game and the Akron game, but just something that doesn't even make sense at this point, why there's so many. And I don't know if it's a, the way the practices are going or maybe it's the equipment they're wearing, but you got to figure out something to make it sure where that's not going to be a problem as frequently as, it, as it's been this season going forward because you can't have 10 guys out on defense and expect to compete, I mean, against the better teams in the country. It's just not going to happen. But just got to get everyone healthy in the all season and make sure we're going in the right direction headed towards 2019 or the start of the 2019 season. Yeah, I've just – I've never seen, like you're saying, I've never seen a defense as depleted as South Carolina's was. And um, I think a guy they really missed in that bowl game was Javon Kinlaw, uh, you know, especially yeah. when it came to stopping the run. I mean, you have to think he would have – you know, he would have given you somewhat of a spark up front or made an impact up front. Um, my biggest takeaway from Saturday – I alluded to this a little bit earlier – is that the number one priority this offseason is – has to be find a quality running back, a true number one back because – Right now, to me, that is the biggest problem with the offense, for sure, is that South Carolina, you know, they they feel good about themselves because they have a couple of guys that are good at a couple of things. Like, you know, we're going to play all these guys. We're going to keep everybody fresh. But South Carolina has not been able to find any sort of consistency in the running game. And I have to imagine as as those running backs, I mean, it's very hard to get any momentum going. I mean, you think about some of the best backs. I feel like one of the – best or one of the biggest qualities of a really good running back is they get better as the game goes like the more they get hit the more carries they get they get stronger through the game you think of a guy like Marcus Lattimore Uh, that was sort of his his calling card is he would wear you down he was a bruiser I just don't see how how South Carolina will ever develop a consistent running game if they just don't have a true number one back I mean you think of all the times where I can think when South Carolina could really run the ball effectively and it's going to be more so recent because you know, I don't remember the 1990 season technically, but, you know, you think back, even those teams that had Lattimore on them, and people say, well, they didn't just use Lattimore, they used Kenny Miles, they used Mike Davis. There was no question who the number one back was. If it was fourth yeah. and one, we knew 
21 is getting it, and he's more than likely going to get the first down. Right now, South Carolina, it's literally flip a coin of who's going to go out there. I mean, to me, honestly, I think right now the guy that I like the most as the number one back is Mon Benson because I know yes. what I'm going to get out of him every single time. He doesn't have the most talent, but when you give them the ball, he's a bruiser. He's going to try to run guys over, and he's going to do that every single time. I mean, the worst thing an athlete can have is inconsistency. Coaches will talk about it all the time. Who, who am I putting out there when I put you out there? I need to know who the guy is that's going out there. That's the best thing you can be for a head coach is consistent and give your coach the same thing every time, same effort, same you know, playing style, whatever. Just be a consistent player. And I just think right now, I mean, I'm really hoping and praying that Deshaun Fenwick finds a way to step up and grow up a lot, obviously, and be that number one back. Because right now, South Carolina is just never going to have a good running game to what we're doing what they're doing right now. And I, I mean, I agree with you 100%, Tom. I'm, I'm not a huge Bobby Bentley fan. I definitely would welcome a change at the running back coach position. But I, they've just got to find the number one back, man. They've got to – I don't even care if it's <clears> – <throat> I don't care if it's one of the guys like Mon – or if it's Mon Tyson, if it's Rico. I don't care who it is, but they need to make a decision in the preseason of 2019, this is our guy. He won the starting position. Not We don't need to have this 1A, 1B, 1C thing. Give me one. Give me, give me a number one guy. And we're just going to ride with him, and we're going to see what happens. I mean, that's just – you know, I, you can't develop any consistency changing guys out every every drive. That's just ridiculous. So, um, let's get into some game balls. Um, I'll start, Tom. Offensively, I have no one to give a game ball to. I'm not going to lie. I just – I do not have a single soul in offense. I think earned a game ball, so I'm not going to give one to them. Um, <laughs> on defense, <laughs> I'm going to give my game ball to defensive back J.C. Horn. I thought he had a pretty good game on Saturday. Uh, you take a look back at his stats. He had six total tackles, three solo tackles, uh, a sack, and a tackle for loss. So, overall, good game. He continues to develop. You know, it's a shame as good as he was in 2018 that he did not have a single interception. I think that will certainly, certainly change next year. But uh, just crazy when you think of how good a year he had. And he, did, he didn't have one pick. So, uh, but, yeah, going to give my game ball to J.C. Horn on defense. You have, do you have any game balls to give, Tom, or is it more uh, – more more sour this this week um not really I mean my overall game ball I'm gonna give to Joseph Charlton I think he broke the record for like average punt yardage for the for a season in South Carolina history I thought I think I saw it somewhere on Twitter today but he averaged like 45 yards a punt on five punt attempts in the Virginia game so shout out to punters and special teams that's what we do <laughs> punters are people too so yeah facts uh, I'll say this. I'll give another game ball to the uh, to the crowd on Saturday. The I thought the Gamecock fans really showed up and showed out. I mean, I you know I thought we South Carolina fans outnumber Virginia fans by a ton on Saturday. I mean, it was a great crowd. The atmosphere was awesome. The tailgates were great. Shout out to anyone I may have ran into or tailgated with on Saturday. If you're listening to this, appreciate the hospitality. Met up with a ton of Gamecock fans. Handed out a ton of Helinski hopes Helinski's hope bracelets and. Uh, it was really awesome getting to interact with all those South Carolina fans, for sure. We really uh, appreciate the love, appreciate the kind words, for sure. So, all right, let's get into some listener questions, because I feel like we've got a ton of good listener questions that are going to lead to some pretty fire conversation. Um, as you can imagine, the, the questions were pretty heated after the game on Saturday. Uh, we'll start with PB, PBJ Homie. Why didn't coaches make a change at quarterback? Anything to spark the team? Next man up. Um, I'm just – I will say this, Tom. I, the 
I don't understand how Michael Skarnecchia has not played. I, I just not, and I don't want to change. I don't want him to be like I didn't want him to be the starting quarterback, like say going in this game. But you're in the fourth quarter. You're down 21, 28 to nothing in a four-score game in the Belt Bowl. What is the harm in putting Michael Skarnecki in? I mean, and it goes back to the Akron game, too, which was really even more absurd because that game was so so in hand, and you're keeping a guy like, like Jake Bentley out there. I just don't understand the staff and their thought process on not giving Michael Skarnecki a you know, his just do. Just let him get one series in there to close out his college career. I mean, you could argue Michael Skarnecchia orchestrated the best win of the 2018 season for South Carolina. Actually, I don't even think it's really an argument. That was an 8-5 and five Mizzou team who was actually a lot better than people expected. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I just really can't fathom how a guy like Michael Skarnecchia doesn't even see the field on Saturday. I mean, he should have gotten a drive, but – I just don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. I mean, he did really good against Missouri, and he did what the coaching staff asked him to. And, I mean, he can't really help anything other than that. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Lupo, this is a funny question. Do you think this embarrassment helped us or hurt us going forward? I think it hurt us. You can't – getting embarrassed is nothing positive. So, I just said the sky's not falling. I don't think it helped us at all. Um, let's see. Heath Watson, 55. Do you actually think Joyner or Helensky will replace Jake Bentley next year? Tom, what do you think? Uh, I mean, if Bentley goes in the draft, yeah. But other than that, no, absolutely not. Unless Bentley is just like terrible, terrible. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I, I, I'm interested to see how short the leash is going to be. Um, Michael Mackey underscore five. When are we going to realize Ray Tanner has been a complete failure as an athletic director? Michael, a lot of people have this opinion, and I'm not in the business. Like, I don't really feel be, like being in the business of just straight up ripping Ray Tanner a new one. But I will say, he he, I think he came into that that athletic director position not realizing how tough it would be, if that makes sense. So, I think you just for South Carolina fans that want to change, I think South Carolina getting a new president in there, I think things will get shaken up a little bit. I mean, I don't know, you know, if Ray Tanner will be one of those guys, but. I don't know. He has not been great with the NCAA. That is certainly the one thing that bothers me a lot. South Carolina just having to deal with getting guys eligible. I mean, and it's across every sport, too, which is just doesn't make any sense. Um, let's see. A.J. Bowers underscore 11. Why did Jake Bentley play poorly? In my opinion, his receivers didn't catch the football, his offensive line didn't protect, and his running backs are non-existent. I think yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah, I think that, that pretty much sums it up well. Um, Venom SZZ, how does this bowl game reflect to our 2019 season, Tom? I mean, you have 20 dudes out on defense. I don't really think it has any inflection on what's going to happen next season whatsoever. I mean, I think the Dale Sell sign of next season is going to be the North Carolina game to open the season. If you let a team that's as bad as North Carolina hang around with you, then it's going to be a long year. But if you go out and you stomp them and you get good mojo going towards Charleston Southern, the Alabama game, then, I mean, that's, that's obviously preferable. Yeah, I mean, that you and – I was talking with a good buddy of ours, Brad Crawford, and he was talking about, you know, if if South Carolina were to lose that UNC guy, that is an absolute – that's that's a must – you know, you call a lot of games a must win. That is a must win. There's yeah no questions asked. That is a must win. Um, Cruz underscore Lolas, why was our offensive play call so bad? I would love to know this answer as well because, like like we talked about, the game plan seemed non-existent. It's – I really don't know. I would love to know, though. I'm glad you asked the question. Um, 
Judd Rupp, why have players been giving bulletin board material to opponents recently? I have no idea, especially if you're not going to show up and back it up. Um, let's, this is a funny one. Caleb Jennings, O2. Why can't Jake Bentley – or why can Jake Bentley not throw an accurate pass? <laughs> I mean, I think he threw a lot of accurate balls on Saturday. Again, I just think his O-line didn't protect him. Is, I mean, it, and that's the one thing I'll say. Now that, now that the season's over, Tom, we just sort of look back at it as a whole. I mean, Jake Bentley catches a lot of flack, deserved flack, but, I mean, is there a quarterback <clears throat> with no running game that catches more flack than him? I mean, he, he has no running game. Let's just – let's call it for what it is. I mean, um, you think about it, it's pretty great for him to play as well as he does with absolutely no running game, like I whatsoever. Mean, none. None. Absolutely. Like your leading rusher has 500 yards on the season. That's terrible. <sighs> that's – wow, that's bad. Um, This one's funny. Porterfield, why us? I don't know, man. Good question, man. <laughs> um, Brennan underscore Smith, 47. Will Jake Bentley go to the draft, and who will start at quarterback next year if he does? Um, I, this is a really good question. I actually tweeted something about this. Like, it's fun to play with the hypotheticals. No, I don't think there's any way Jake Bentley is going to the NFL draft. But if he does, if something crazy happens and he decides to go to the NFL, I think it, it – how – it, it makes for next season crazy interesting coming yeah. in with a battle between uh, Helensky and DeCarion Joyner, uh, Jay Urich. It's just, man, does it change the dynamic of next season. Um, let's see. Clean cut 7777. Or Clean cut 7777. There we go. I don't blame Debo one bit if your total offense is pre- predicated on one person. You need an overhaul. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame him either i mean i I just think the people that the the people that switched up and were trying to get all upset was was crazy um let me see here (laughs) palmetto born this team is garbage i love carolina but this squad is below average coaches suck thank you for that Mm. (laughs) no no i think the coaches are good i think south carolina's got the guys in place offensive coordinator defensive coordinator i mean i think those guys are in place so this all right last question here Kaysen atkinson four what was muschamp's thoughts regarding so many players out on defense i mean i don't know specifically what his thoughts are my thoughts like you're saying i think it's silly tom to try to blame injuries on like the the strength staff really i just i don't think that makes sense but man they've got to look at something because 2018 third year for injuries. I mean, it was just insane. So, all right, let's get into some other listener questions, some voicemails. We did have a couple of voicemails. We really do appreciate you guys calling in, and uh, these should be a blast. So, let's go ahead and get these going. Hey, this is James from Conway. I was wondering in the three years that much chance been our coach, What's the problem not recruiting a decent running back, wide receiver, or linebackers? In fact, linebackers are non-existent at South Carolina. And also, defensive linemen, very, very slow. Can't get off the ball, can't get off blocks. What's going on there? Thank you. All right, appreciate the call, James, from Conway. Tom, I'm going to let you take this one because you were talking about the running backs, the linebackers. I think the wide receivers are fine. I know they didn't have their best game, but I think – I think South Carolina's going to be okay at wide receiver, but uh, 
What do you think about James' comments as far as regarding the uh, the running backs and the linebackers? Well, I mean, for the running backs, Rico was a high school quarterback, I'm pretty sure. So, I, I mean, he was one of those guys in the 2017 class that just kind of had – you kind of had to bring on because you needed numbers. And I think he's regressed since his freshman year, and I don't really understand how, but I think that's kind of on coaching. I mean, there, I was watching – I can't remember who played, but I saw a running back from somewhere – stick their arm in the ground after they got hit and stand back up and keep running. I've never seen a running back from a, from South Carolina do that in like three years. And I just don't understand. Like that's, I feel like that's something that each running back should know how to do. And I've never seen it, but I mean, I think Rico is limited in, in his talent and what it, how it translates to the field. And it feels like he's always hurt too. And then Tyson's a guy that just is underperformed on the field. And then Mon Denson is, I mean, is a very limited in the, in the town area too, but when he gets on the field, he makes plays. And I don't understand why he doesn't play more than you have a guy like AJ Turner, who's being made to play defense because of numbers, but. I mean, I like Levante Valentine and and Deshaun Fenwick, and I, I really like Kevin Harris, the guy who's coming in from Georgia. He won like five A Player of the Year or something like that. But I mean, I I think we're heading in the right direction in terms of running backs, linebackers. I like the guys that are coming in the twenty nineteen class. Both of them, Jamar Brown is pretty good. The other guys are really good too. Big, strong, smart, athletic linebackers. But I mean, right now we're kind of not working with a whole lot. Damani Stanley is a guy who should be a career special teamer, and he's having to play, I mean, meaningful snaps on special teams. A walk-on, Eason, is it Eason Riddle, I'm pretty sure? Yeah, a walk-on. Eason I mean, Riddle. Yeah, that kid's having to play. I mean, now, other than T.J. Brunson, we didn't really get a lot of linebackers this year, and a lot of that had to be with – a lot of that had to do with Bryce Now Williams being out hurt. But, I mean, both positions, I think, are on the up, though. Yeah, and you get a guy hopefully next year, like an Eldridge Thompson. I think he'll be back. He's applying yeah. for that extra year, but – um, yeah, I definitely think at linebackers, at least, they're moving in the right direction. A guy like Rosendo Lewis is going to need to step up yeah. and sort of be that dude that they recruited him to be, if that makes sense. So, um, good analysis there. All right, let's get into our next voicemail here. What's happening, Chris and Tom? Uh, this is Alex. I've tweeted back and forth with you guys on Twitter a couple times. Uh, you know, I don't really have a question about the Doug Bowl as much as I have a, a, a statement, really. This narrative that you're a bad fan – or a Fairweather fan, every time that you have that you voice your unhappiness with the team needs to stop. I mean, you know, you've got all these people on there like, oh, you see the Fairweather fans? We've done bad, you know. Listen, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, you know, to, to act like the program is going under or something like that is ridiculous, but we have a lot of fans, you know, to voice our unhappiness. You know, I mean, I've personally spent thousands of dollars, you know, between going to games and just buying memorabilia. I'm sure the rest of Gamecock Nation has as well. I mean, really, but like I said, I mean, that, really that's, that's, that's my only statement on it. I mean, belt bowl was terrible. Zero offense. You know, defense was depleted. It is what it is. You know, <laughs> get wrapped up for next season. All right, guys. Burn up. All right, Alex, appreciate you calling in, brother. We've definitely interacted with Alex a ton on Twitter, so we appreciate him uh, taking the time to leave us a voicemail. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I, I think that – I think he definitely makes a good point. I mean, it's funny you talk about, you know, if you if you say a negative thing, you're, you're some people have a certain reaction. It's like, buddy, you are living our lives every day. If, you, if you're just now realizing that, we've been living that every day. I mean, I just go back to when I talked one bad thing about Frank Martin, buddy. My mentions were lit up. But, uh, nah, yeah, I mean, I don't think the program is going under either or anything crazy like that. I think it's all just an overreaction. Obviously, people are upset, and, I mean, rightfully so. Again, that, that performance was just unacceptable. But, uh, 
But yeah, I mean, I think all you can do is just really stay positive. And, you know, as fans, I mean, you have every right to be upset. I think you have to realize, though, as fans, listen, not everybody likes the Will Muschamp hire. Not everybody likes Will Muschamp, period, right now. Like, many South Carolina fans don't like him. But you have to, you know, there are a lot of positive things happening. When you look at it rationally, firing Will Muschamp would be the stupidest thing you could ever do. I mean, you've got a ton of positive things happening. You've got to love him or hate him. You've got next season, you should have a senior quarterback returning, a much improved and healthy defense, fingers crossed. You've got a brand new ops facility, a $50 million football facility that opens on January 7th that is going to be an absolute game changer, I think, for recruiting, just for for the university, for the program in general. You've got some real help coming in this year's recruiting class and guys like Zach Pickens, Cam Smith, Ryan Holinsky, uh, Kevion Mullins, other guys I'm not – Joseph Anderson, other guys I'm not even naming. You've got talent coming in. I know that it sucks right now. It sucks for me. I hate it. It's the, the, I think, Tom, the biggest difference between – and I'm not comparing Muschamp and Spurrier, but just sort of their tenures. The biggest difference to me right now between Will Muschamp's first three years and Steve Spurrier's first three, four years, we'll say, is that – Steve Spurrier was able to sneak in the occasional win against a Clemson, against a Georgia, your rivals, right? Which I think is an, listen, if South Carolina goes seven and five this season, but finds a way to beat Clemson, South Carolina fans are ecstatic. It's a great year. We had a great season, or at least there is a much more positive spin on the season. I just think that it's unfortunate that right now, Will Muschamp is having to deal with the greatest run in Clemson football history. And, what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia. I mean, it's, you know, it's a shame, but I think that's the only difference. I mean, obviously, it's something's got to change going, in, going into the 2019 season, this whole 1-11 or whatever the record is against top 25 teams. I mean, 2019 is going to have to be the year. You're going to have to be somebody good if you want to have a decent record. So, um, But I definitely agree with you, Alex. The sky's not falling. I mean, there's people on Twitter that are going to be doom and gloom. You know, it's just nothing you can really do, man. Just stay positive and kind of chug along and, uh, push forward. You got any thoughts on it, Tom? I know I kind of went off there, but any uh, any thoughts on uh, Alex's take? Well, I mean, I kind of agree with him, and that you should be able to criticize and applaud whenever you want to. And we're both we're definitely both guys who do that all the time when it comes to the players and the coaching staff. We applaud when they do well, and we criticize when they do bad. And we're not going to be yeah. you know, blind to what's going on. And I think that I think the staff's going in the right direction. And anybody like Alex, like if if anybody's saying that you need to fire Muschamp, then you're just an idiot right now. There's nothing else. There's nothing else about it. Yeah, I mean, I understand the immediate reaction being frustrated, but it, like I said, you think of it logically. I mean, that just – you can't do that. <laughs> you can't fire a coach after three seasons. All right, let's get into our last voicemail. It comes from Michael. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Michael again. I really <clears throat> really was hoping to be able to talk some trash um, coming off this weekend of football, but – can't, I knew that was going to happen after I woke up Sunday morning and found out that my QB was hurt for the Titans. So, unfortunately, my team did not make the playoffs, as you saw. But um, I am definitely not hoping for the Patriots to make it for you to Tom, for Tom Brady. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, in the game, I had some family down this weekend, so I definitely don't want that um, L from the game cops to definitely on my weekend. But it was just, it just hurts, man, to – Lose twenty eight zero shut out by a Virginia team that just not good at all. That that hurt. I don't know who to blame. It looked they looked like they didn't even prepare. And the defense they did their best to contain whatever they could. But I don't know. It's just whenever Debo is not out there, it just seems like this offense 
is just horrible. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's coaching Bentley. It just looks like it's horrible. And my boy R.J. Roderick on that defense, he's the next manager. I mean, it just looks like every hit he he uh brought he brought the paint with it. So just wanted to leave my opinions and thoughts on the game. Wanted to see what was y'all opinions and thoughts, and can't wait to hear y'all show. All right, Spurs up. All right, appreciate the voicemail, uh, Michael. Tom, I, I, our favorite Titans fan, just calling in. So I, he's wishing. Yeah. I, sounds like he's wishing you well in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, it seems like he was really there for a Patriots W in two weeks when they're against whoever they play. <laughs> I mean, at least they'll get a chance to see the Titans. And oh wait, the Titans didn't make the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> that's tough, man. Tough for you, but um, I, I mean, I agree with what he said. I think the offense has played terrible, and I, I'm really not excited, but I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen next year without having Debo Samuel on offense. And you mentioned Debo saying this is going back to kind of our just our game analysis in general. But I mean, how disappointing was the play of the wide receivers? I just, you know, I thought that guys like Brian Edwards, Shy Smith, jo- Josh Van, terrible game. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. Terrible I mean, Brian Edwards was a no shit, Do I know? So, I mean, Brian Edwards is basically a no show. I mean, three for 37 for number one guy is terrible. Yeah, he was non existent. Josh Van couldn't catch the football. I say this with all due respect, and you know what? Take it how you want to. But when Travis Dawkins is your number three wide receiver, you've got some issues. I mean, yeah. no offense, but the kid doesn't know where he is. Doesn't know where he is on the field. I catching, mean, my thing is catching deep balls out of bounds. I mean, just my thing is like I didn't even know Rodriguez Davis was hurt, and I saw videos of him practicing during the Beltwell practices, and then he doesn't suit up for the game. I'm just like. <clears throat> can, can we know if people are going to play or not? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me because Rendrick Davis is a guy that can be very productive for us when he's actually on the field and not hurt. And he'd been a guy that probably could have had a sneakily good game because he didn't win against one of Virginia's weaker DBs, not had to go against Bryce. So, Bryce, not Bryce Love. Bryce, Bryce Hall. Bryce yeah, Hall. Bryce Hall. And then the other guy who had, like, 20 passes defended on the year. Both of them had interceptions. But, I mean, just disappointing from the receiver core. But, I mean, next year, hopefully – but if Brian Edwards at this point is thinking about going to the NFL, he should – after that game, he should just rethink his entire life. Well, so that's why actually it came to my mind because we're going to talk about some news and notes, some things that have been going on. Um, Donnell Stanley announced today he will be returning for his senior year. In my opinion, Tom, a a huge, huge boost for the South Carolina Gamecocks offensive line. I know that, you know, they were ready. I think the staff was ready, you know, if if Donnell – did leave. I think you were looking at Hank Manos being your full-time center. Um, I think, again, he didn't have a great game on Saturday, but is a guy that I think is going to be a pretty solid player for the Gamecocks. Really highly touted recruit. Um, but I'm very interested to see now kind of what the dynamic is with the offensive line. If they keep Donnell at center and move Hank Manos to one of the guard positions. Um, if they keep Hank at center, move Donnell, because Donnell's played at the guard as well. Um, but I think the Gamecocks offensive line definitely got a boost today with the Donnell Stanley news. Yeah, I mean, I I would think next year the starting line going forward be Dylan Wanham at left tackle, Javon Gwynn a left guard. I mean, uh, Donnell Stanley at center, right guard be Sedarius Hutcherson, and then right tackle obviously be position that's kind of up for grabs. But um, I mean, I would I would prefer to Javon Gwynn because I just think he's probably a better player right now than Hank Manos, and Hank Manos could use just another year gaining more weight and getting bigger because he did look right. a little overmatched just mm-hmm. like muscle-wise in the game against Virginia. And if he's getting overmatched against ACC defense lineman, I don't want to know what would happen if, you know, against right. an A&M or against uh, Alabama next year. Well, I definitely think another year of weightlifting is going to help him as well because, you know, he came in so underweight because of the whole wrestling thing. So I definitely think another year to put on muscle, to get bigger, stronger, I think is definitely going to pay dividends for him. But maybe a guy like Ja'Kai Moore fighting for that right tackle spot. You never know. Maybe. Who knows? He's pretty highly touted. 
Um, we also got win that Lance Thompson, a Gamecocks defensive line coach, uh, per sources that we have, is apparently on his way out. Um, it looked like he was going to take the Georgia Tech job or go basically take the Georgia Tech job as far as a uh, – I believe is the defensive line coach. It looked like he was going to go to Georgia Tech, though. I hear, I hear now that apparently I think Miami's in the mix as well, so a couple different schools. But it looks like, at least right now, that Lance Thompson um, is on his way out. Tom, any any thoughts on the Lance Thompson departure to be? Or uh, I mean, I know that it, it was funny. I put the news up, and I was like, man, I did not realize that South Carolina fans didn't really like him all that much. But uh, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to learn today. But any thoughts on Lance Thompson uh, supposedly leaving South Carolina? I mean, I don't really have a take on it right now. I'll tell you in like – I mean, it depends on who they replace him with because if they replace him with a guy – basically, I'm here for Coleman Hustler to get fired. So, if they replace Coleman Hustler and Lance Thompson, then I'll be happy. But if it's just just if it's just if Lance Thompson that ends up getting fired, I'll be a little disappointed. Much champ, but just depends on who they replace him with, to be honest. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I've heard a lot of people say Brad Lawing. I don't know if they would do that. I mean, I know it'd be a really popular hire with the fan base just because he was at South Carolina when they had their best seasons, and he's obviously been on the uh, the Fade In podcast with Eric Kimry, one of our really good friends. I know he's had a lot of discussions and talked about that he would coach again for South Carolina. So I don't know if Will Muschamp will look that way, uh, who I'm replacing with, but you'd have to think that Will Muschamp, being a defensive guy, having the ties that he has, will will be able to get someone in there that's – you know, competent <laughs> at least, or a high level, um, you know, a high level type coach at that position. So we'll see. Um, other than that, I mean, men's basketball gets a huge win over North Greenville. Uh, we're going to pretty much save the basketball talk. We'll really start diving into basketball next week as the Gamecocks do begin SEC play this Saturday in Gainesville, Florida. They take on the Florida Gators. Um, Gamecocks baseball is creeping slowly here. We'll have a whole season preview series starting in a week or two. But, yeah, Tom, I think other than that, that's pretty much going to do it. Any uh, any last thoughts on the Gamecocks game against Virginia and moving forward into 2019? I mean, not the greatest way to end your season, but just got to get ready for next season to put it in the mirror and get ready to beat North Carolina up come September. Yeah, I- I'll ask you, does this – do you think this game ranks worse for South Carolina than the uh, the Papa John's Bowl? Uh, absolutely not. The Papa John's Bowl was a million times worse. You, I would rather lose to Virginia than UConn any day of the week. And I was at the Papa John's Bowl, which makes it worse. And I was freezing in tw- – like, whatever it was, the weather, it was below freezing. But there were UConn fans out there in shorts and T-shirts. So, I understood how UConn ended up winning that game. But I, just unbelievable with that the Papa John's Bowl. But, no, the Papa John's Bowl is way worse than the Belt Bowl by yeah. far. No, no, no competition whatsoever. Yeah, I seem to think that as well, for sure, when you take in all the factors to it. Um, lastly, before we go, you got any you got any New Year's resolutions for 2019? Do I have any New Year's yeah, resolutions you, for I'm 2019? Do you have any, yeah. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, probably just read more because I'm a nerd. But other than that, not much. I mean, I could try to l- walk on for a long snapper again at Carolina because I don't know if our fit. Do our fit? Did I ever talk about that? That I did that. Did I'm not. A, I'm really not 100 percent sure. Actually, I don't. I, I don't, don't think you did. Well, okay. For those who don't know, I posted this. I don't. I posted this on Twitter. I know that I. They had a. I bonk snapped in high school, and I was pretty good at it. And I. I didn't have any college offers, but I had. I drew a little bit of interest from some different Division two schools around South Carolina. But um, I tried to walk on for a long time for South Carolina. Unfortunately, I mean it's kind of obvious. Didn't get a call back. Basically saying, you know, we'll bring you on. I haven't yet. Who knows? Going maybe they'll give me a call come spring. That would be pretty cool. But um. 
overall, I mean, nah, I, I definitely won't get a call back. There are some kids there who could sling it. But, yeah, I, will, I, tried to, I was a walk-on long snapper for like an hour for South Carolina. Yeah, un- unfortunately for you, fortunately for us, because I don't know how Will Muschamp would feel about the co-host of the Spurs Up show being on his football team. So, we'll just we'll – I just, mean, I know Bobby Bentley hates us, so that's – Yeah, but I, I don't know that Bobby Bentley is a huge fan of us, but that's okay. I, I was just asking because I'm not a believer in New Year's resolutions at all, but I do have one New Year's resolution, and that is simply to not argue – so my New Year's resolution is to not argue with someone on Twitter who does not have – it basically has an anonymous picture in in their in their as their photo, if that makes sense. Like so don't someone, argue with the troll. Basically, yes. To argue with less trolls. That should just be my New Year's resolution because man, my mentions the last week were crazy. So my my New Year's resolution, don't argue with someone that's not even man enough to put a picture of their face in their Twitter bio. That that's basically what it is. So we'll we'll see if I can stick to that. Um, we got an interview coming up with Tim Frisbee. You know him better as Pops before we get into it. This interview is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, use the promo code SPURSUP. Get $20 off your first purchase. Ton of stuff. NFL playoffs, college basketball. There's a ton of concerts and events coming up in 2019 as well. So be sure to save some money. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P. Get $20 off your first purchase. By far the best ticket buying app around. Download SeatGeek. Use the promo code Spurs up again. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy this interview with Tim Frisbee. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man I know all Gamecock fans are familiar with. Uh, played for the Gamecocks, was on the team in 2004, 2005, but more importantly, his story spending 20 years in the military, being a 39 year old college football player. Uh, I'm pleased to have Tim Frisbee, better known as Pops, on the show. Tim, appreciate you taking the time, man. Not a problem. Anytime, anytime. Uh, have, you have a great uh, podcast going there. Uh, a lot of information, uh, very informative to uh, Gamecock fans, and uh, uh, this is what it's all about. You know, uh, these these fans uh, tune in because they uh, love the Gamecocks and everything about them. Absolutely, yeah. We really do appreciate the uh, the kind words for sure. So let's talk about you. Obviously, uh, take me back even before South Carolina football. You know, you're in the military uh, for 20 years. Just kind of talk about you know your overall. Uh, stint in the military, I guess, going back to even your teen years, what made you decide to go into the military? And just talk about overall uh, what that experience was like for you. Right, absolutely. And and like you said, you know, it goes back way before uh, the military. Um, you know, obviously, um, I was a, a two-sport athlete in uh, high school, but not only that, played played other sports as well. I grew up, you know, I played basketball, football, baseball, track, volleyball, anything that I could get my hands on. Uh, I guess at that, I guess before it was even uh, uh, commonplace, I guess I would have been called an athlete. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's where it all started from. And then uh, uh, obviously I had some offers coming out of high school and weren't exactly, you know, what I was looking for. So I said, you know what, uh, could use a little maturity, uh, both mentally and physically. Uh, I'm going to, I had other family members uh, that, uh, you know, were involved in military. And I said, well, you know, I'll en- enlist for a three-year stint and see how it goes, and then uh, uh, we'll go from there, you know, come, come back to college from there. Uh, and obviously, it, uh, uh, after my first year stint, uh, I liked where I was at and uh, kept on kind of going from there and rolled into, the next thing you know, it was uh, 20 years down the line. So, uh, you know, that uh, prior to coming uh, back to school is uh, kind of my, uh, my journey. Absolutely. So you were a uh, Gulf War veteran, correct? You uh, the Gulf War, correct? Yeah, 
participated in yeah, during the Gulf okay. War and also uh, the conflict uh, in Kosovo. Wow. Wow. Okay. Perfect. So jumping ahead, obviously, um, you know, you decide, you know, like you said, you stayed in great shape. You were an athlete. Um, I was actually watching a little bit uh, earlier today. You know, you obviously talked about how uh, while you're in the military, you guys will play a lot of different like pickup games and play, you played sports, obviously kind of past the time, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so you stayed in great yeah, they- shape and ha- had a dream of playing college football, which led you to Columbia, South Carolina and uh, playing for two legendary coaches in Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. Uh, talk about just what made you make the decision of, you know, how hard was it to make the decision that really finally I'm going to go try to do this? And was South Carolina the no-brainer choice, or were there other options on the table for you? Well, yeah, that's a great question because, uh, you know, obviously uh, I kept it in the back of my mind that uh, even during my military career, obviously I participated in uh, the highest programs that the military could offer, which they call All-Army. Uh, which was their highest uh, military uh, sports program. So stayed in shape my whole time. And I said, if I had the opportunity and I still felt I was uh, physically capable, uh, you know, when I got out, I was going to give it a shot. Now, um, glad you asked, because what it came down to, uh, obviously I grew up in Pennsylvania uh, and South Carolina was kind of my second home being my first military assignment. So I knew the area well. So, uh, I did some research and kind of uh, inquired from both schools uh, about the uh, walk-on process. And uh, at the time, Joe Paterno was coaching at Penn State. Coach Holtz was at South Carolina. And uh, I actually received uh, uh, letters back from both of those uh, uh, coaches uh, stating uh, they would give me a uh, walk-on tryout. And obviously, the next step was to uh, qualify academically uh, uh, for the schools. Uh, just so happened I came back to South Carolina on my last military tour. So it was kind of predestined, kind of set up uh, for me to uh, come to South Carolina. I just made the choice right then and there, notified uh, Coach Paterno uh, that I would be uh, coming to South Carolina, and that was that. Yeah, absolutely. So you, obviously, again, spending that long of a stint in the military, jump into college life at South Carolina. Um, what was that transition like going from – you know, being in the military to, to college. Cause on one hand, I would think for you, it'd be very easy because you're already disciplined. You're not a, you know, an 18 year old clueless kid trying to figure it out. But on the other hand, I can imagine there were definitely some, you know, some things, major things you had to get used to. Just talk about that transition from going to being in the military to 20 years to living, you know, basically the college life. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and like, just like you said, the discipline part of it was great for me because, uh, you know, coming back to school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew academically uh, which route I wanted to take and how to approach it. Uh, you know, had the concept of, you know, studying and all that, all that stuff was down. So I didn't kind of fall into those uh, freshman traps of, uh, you know, getting behind the power curve and then, uh, you know, having to catch up with your GPA, uh, all of that. And I, and like you said, I guess the hardest part was uh, uh, adjusting because of the age gap uh, with uh, the other students, but uh, quickly found out that uh, it really didn't, that wasn't much of a a difference, didn't really matter. Uh, And maybe more so because I was involved with sports uh, right off the bat uh, coming into school, but uh, it just, uh, the gap seemed to close very fast and I was uh, very comfortable, uh, you know, it started with my freshman year at USA. Did you ever get any, uh, I just imagine, did you ever get any kind of, 
questions on campus or looks from people because I I know I remember when I was in college there were definitely like older you know no offense older students um, and everybody be kind of like wondering what the story was what was the reaction to people on right. campus when they'd see you walking around and going to class well it was it was great because I I just I don't know if I can chalk it up to good genes or whatever it was but uh, I always uh, looked younger than I uh, uh, than I was so I didn't. Uh, I didn't stand out, I would say, uh, you know, versus any of the other students and right. really didn't get any questions about it. And the great part was uh, even the football team at the time when I tried out uh, didn't know my age. Uh, that didn't come out until later uh, during spring practice when a uh, reporter got wind of my age and started uh, asking questions is when the uh, the age thing actually came up. So I was able to kind of uh, make the team and was participating already before uh, the age issue ever came up. Yeah, the cat was out of the bag, you could say. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you played, like I said, you played for two Hall of Fame coaches, two legendary coaches in Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. Um, Let's start with Lou Holtz, because I have to imagine, you know, there is a great sense of appreciation for him, you know, giving you the opportunity, first of all. But what type of impact did Lou Holtz have on your life, and what was your relationship like with him? Right. Well, you know, he had a great impact. And if you start from the beginning, uh, also you got to add in there Dave Roberts, who was the uh, recruiting coordinator. And well, actually, he was the walk-on coordinator and the uh, uh, one of the recruiters for uh, Coach Holtz. So running, he was a running back coach. Uh, but Dave Roberts was in charge of the uh, walk-on trials. At the time, how South Carolina did it was uh, they would announce uh, a walk-on tryout uh, shortly after uh, uh, a winter camp started back for the for the football team. Uh, and what you do, you show up for a day uh, at williams Bryce. They break you down into groups based on the positions that uh, you are going to go out and uh, try to play. And then uh, to intensify the pressure, you had about a three-hour period of running through drills uh, at your position uh, to kind of make an impact on the coaches uh, as to who they were going to select as the walk-on because about 50 to 60 uh, walk-ons showed up, and there were only room for about uh, eight walk-ons. So uh, it was a really competitive day, and uh, and then you you heard back a couple of days after the walk-on tryouts uh, as to uh, who made the team as walk-ons. Were you – I know it kind of varies. Were you ever treated differently as a walk-on at all, or was that something that USC didn't do? Well – well, naturally, you're treated differently as a walk-on because there's just certain things that, that uh, you can do. The main one being that uh, walk-ons uh, couldn't eat at the training table, which is your, your, your food prep and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so you go through these, especially in double sessions uh, during the uh, – well, not necessarily during the summer, but more or less uh, winter workouts and stuff. When you were finished, the team normally ate. And then they come back for team meetings under Coach Holtz uh, later in the uh, the evening. You really couldn't eat during that period because the rest of the team would go eat, but walk-ons weren't allowed to eat. So, uh, you know, there were certain things that you couldn't uh, uh, couldn't do as a walk-on. That one being kind of the the main one. There were certain perks you didn't have as a walk-on. And you had asked earlier about the relationship with Coach Holtz, and right from the beginning, uh, it was a really good relationship. Uh, even to the point, you know, like I said, he didn't know right away my age until the reporters questioned him about it. And then once he found out, uh, he called me up to the office. Uh, and we would always have discussions after that, uh, uh, especially he asked me 
about the players on the team just as far as what he could do to uh, get across to them. And I guess he felt more comfortable with me me being closer to him in age than uh, the rest of the team. Uh, he could ask me uh, questions like that. So uh, really had a, a pretty good relationship with Coach Holt. Absolutely. So on the field, obviously, you played with some pretty notable wide receivers, I would say. I mean, just specifically 2004, I think a Troy Williamson's the one that jumps off the uh, the top of my mind. But for you personally, just on the field, um, like you said, you, you said nobody really noticed your age at all. Um, what was that like as far as getting on the field? Because I know you were a wide receiver. What, what was that like kind of getting, um, you know, getting into, I guess, game reps, you could call it, or just practice reps right. in general? Um, was it harder than you thought it'd be, easier, about what you expected? What was that like? It was – more or less it was uh, uh, more or less what I expected. The game speed obviously was uh, extraordinarily faster than anything you would expect at or, mm. or encountered at lower levels. Uh, I still ran at that time. I still ran a four five forty, so nice. uh, I was very competitive as far as uh, my speed uh, in the weight room, my strength. So uh, you know, it, it's kind of it's funny because when you start practice, there's kind of a pecking order. Everybody has this individual pecking order of uh, who they can, who they compete with, who they may be better with, better than, who they're they they may not be as good as, and really have to up their game against. So it was really uh, highly competitive. And then, of course, under Coach Holtz, we had full contact practices. So uh, it was, you know, proving yourself in practice, too. I can remember one of my first plays uh, as a Gamecock in practice, and I think Coach Holtz did it purposely. Uh, probably my first uh, play from scrimmage, we were in uh, kind of end zone uh, from 10-yard in, uh, you know, going into the end zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has me run a slant kind of right into the safety. Jermaine Harris, who was one of the safeties at the time, uh, after my catch, basically took my head off, you know, and uh, here I am, you know, held on to the ball, uh, arranging my helmet back, and he's like, yeah, welcome to the SEC. And, uh, you know, from there on, I kind of knew, you know, uh, you know, I can can handle this. Absolutely. That's that's a great story. Um, Was it always predetermined for you to play wide receiver? I mean, did you have any other positions on your mind or – how did that come about? Yeah, well, I, I played uh, I played safety too. I played kind of a you know a defensive back position also. But uh, I always I've always played wide receiver as my main position, and that was the position I kind of uh, uh, went out for when, uh, during the tryout period, uh, the, the walk-on days and stuff. So they kind of just slapped you in there, and then uh, uh, as you get together as a team, because uh, they inserted us right into uh, winter workouts. And, uh, of course, Troy Williamson, kind of the leader of the receiving corps at the time, kind of took me under his wing, and uh, we kind of went from there. Yeah, so like you said, the uh, I guess the cat got out of the bag. Spring practice, you said, team found out kind of about your age. And uh, we obviously threw it on our social media pages a couple of days ago. But, the you know, ESPN College Game Day did a whole piece about you and, um, you know, your age and just kind of your journey to get to where you were. Um, how did the team react when they found out and kind of what was the uh, camaraderie like in the locker room? Right. The, the camaraderie was great. Actually, the team didn't believe me. We get back <laughs> to the locker room. I, I guess he had the first day ESPN that showed up. And uh, Matt Thomas, who was another receiver at the time, mm-hmm. a kid from Georgia, uh, everybody's gathered around my locker. And he's like, it, we, you know, you know, we heard you were 40 years old or 39 at the time, but uh, 40 years old. Uh, no, there's no way or whatever, you know, show me, show us some type of ID or something like that. So, I go in my locker and I kind of pull out my driver's license and 
they li- they're looking at it right there on the uh, you know driver's license, uh, date of birth, and uh, and year and everything like that. And they're like, oh, this is a fake. And but uh, you know, I had some other forms of ID, and they kind of uh, you know they just uh, you know they just believed it from there on. But uh, it was no big, you know, no big time. Obviously, they you went through some teasing and stuff like that. But uh, no, uh, it was all all fun and camaraderie in the locker room. Of course. So the the nickname Pops obviously came about. Was that uh, given from the players? Was that coaches? Or was it something you came well, up with? How did that come about? Yeah, our, our wide receiver coach at the time, Rick Stockstill, who's the coach mm-hmm. at uh, Middle Tennessee now. Yep. Uh, he was the wide receiver coach at the time, and we were – uh, we break down into uh, separate groups and go into the receiver room. We view film and stuff in there. So uh, we're in there one day and uh, we're watching, uh, you know, our practice, all the practices are filmed. So we're watching our routes and everything like that. And uh, uh, I did one route or whatever. And uh, he, if this was shortly after a story had come out on ESPN and uh, he's like 39. He said, you're, he, he says, uh, just offhand, he says, you're as old as my pops. And Troy Williamson turns to me and says, that's what we're going to call you. We're going to call you pops. And uh, I'm like, no, no, you know, you know, don't do that, whatever. And he's like, yeah, that's what it's going to be. So Troy Williamson was kind of the one Rick Stockstill made the name up, but Troy Williamson was kind of the one that, uh, that made it stick. Cause he was insistent that insistent that that was what they were going to call him. That's awesome. Um, so I'm curious to get your take, Tim, you know, we've, past couple of weeks you've probably seen we talked to guys like Corey Boyd, Savelle Newton, guys who went through the transition from Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were obviously a part of it. I'm curious to get your take because, you know, I think as a as a young guy, I think you can let your emotions kind of get the best of you. Maybe um, people handle things differently than others when, when change happens like that. Um, right. What, what was that like for you going from the Lou Holtz era to the Steve Spurrier era? Well, um, the transition was kind of a little strange because Coach Holtz was more of a, a, a hands-on, motivated type guy, mm. and uh, Coach Spurrier uh, was more. Although he he kind of had uh, more in tune with names and all that stuff on the team, uh, he was more hands-off as far as uh, the day-to-day motivation uh, type guy. So. Uh, I guess that transition could have been harder on some than others. Uh, you know, and I, I did listen to some of Savelle's uh, interviews, and he was right on a lot of the points as far as, uh, you know, Savelle's one of, probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen you know, as far as uh, all-around athletes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he felt from the beginning uh, that uh, he wasn't going to be utilized right uh, after, you know, kind of Coach Spurrier explained the scheme and what uh, – what position that uh, guys like uh, he would play in that. So uh, I can see, you know, some of uh, what he was saying, uh, some of the truth to that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how that transition was. Uh, some guys, obviously from a receiver standpoint, we were happy because we were going to see the ball more uh, in uh, Spurrier's scheme versus uh, Holtz's was a more run style offense. So uh, a lot of guys were happy about that, but I think some guys maybe were, unhappy with the roles, uh, the preconceived kind of notions that Coach Spurrier had towards them as far as their role in the program. I think a lot of them felt that uh, they, you know, hey, let's go on the field and uh, kind of prove what we can do and then kind of make uh, your decisions after that. And I think a lot of them felt that uh, he was making some uh, preconceived judgments. Right, absolutely. You make a great point there because I think, you know, anytime a new coach comes in, they want to try to kind of, 
trim the fat, you know, turn it into their program, obviously put their stamp on it. Were you ever concerned about your status on the team? Was that something that ever came up? Did you ever have that conversation? Um, and did, did that ever worry you at all? No, it, it never worried me because uh, I knew as uh, as far as uh, the team wise under Coach Holtz that I was uh, I was progressing. Mm-hmm. You know, you always you know Coach Holtz always said that uh, first of all, nobody no Walkman was going to make the team if there was no role for him on the team, meaning that if you could not play somewhere, uh, you weren't going to be on the team. So there was nobody that was just going to come on as uh, a coach's son or somebody you know just. To, uh, to carry on the team. They were going to have to uh, play somewhere. Now, under Coach Holtz, you normally started on special teams, uh, moved your way up from the two deep on special teams to, uh, you know, your playing time, and then that, uh, you know, kind of transferred over into your position as far as moving up the hierarchy within your, uh, for in my case, the receiving core. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, where a little bit of the difference was between uh, the Holtz and uh, Spurs approach to the game. All right, so let's go to September 24th, 2005. Uh, South Carolina uh, versus Troy. South Carolina takes care of business, obviously, but for you, um, you have your first career catch. You get some game action. You get a catch, uh, one catch for nine yards in that game. Talk about just what that meant for you because while the stat line may be, you know, one catch for nine yards – I feel like what that represents, and I could be wrong, but what that would represent for you is, you know, kind of all that hard work and you taking a chance on a dream and it, you know, it finally coming to fruition. Uh, What did that mean to you to be able to, you know, not many people can say they were on a SEC football team, period, but not many people can also say they've gotten in, actually played in a game for an SEC program. That's something you can say. Uh, What did that mean to be able to do it on the field and kind of – have that to your resume as well right well it was a it was a combination obviously of uh part part being a part of the the dream but also a, co- a culmination of all all the hard work all the mm-hmm. uh the, the six o'clock practices in the morning and the weight lifting and uh all the sacrifices in practice and uh uh you know all, all of that it was kind of a, a culmination of of all that and you know, just to the pressure of that point, you know, knowing that, well, you're only going to have one chance or, you know, you don't know how many chances. There's some players that go through three, four years as a walk-on who never see the field. So being able to get on the field and then not not only that, being able to make a catch, you know, knowing that you're going to have very few limited chances to do it uh, was, uh, you know, just a, a great thing for me uh, because it kind of uh, proved that, you know what, this is uh, something I could do. And I always said, you know, uh, that, uh, hey, just play me. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, mm-hmm. people are always amazed. They say, well, you know, they're amazed how many catches that I made in practice and stuff like that. And I say, well, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a receiver. You throw the ball, I catch it. So uh, I think, uh, you know, that's how I always viewed it. Yeah, I know. I remember watching that game specifically, and I, I know that I can speak for Gamecock Nation when I say that we were all fired up. And I am I have to imagine your phone was blowing up pretty uh, – pretty crazy after that game from friends and family. And I'm sure the guys in the locker room, uh, you know, also kind of celebrated with you as well. Oh yeah. Friends and family. Then, then that's when uh, the, the press and the national media started getting involved right. and, and uh, motion picture studios and people showing up in Columbia to, uh, you know, 
to do things. So that that's when all that took off. And uh, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of nonstop for the, the next year and a half after that, just as far as uh, uh, things with the media and uh, you know and with the team. Yeah, and like you said, it, it really blew up from that point. National media get, media getting a hold of it. Um, you were able to go on the Late Show with David Letterman, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Um, talk about what that was like. I mean, I have to imagine that was a that was a pretty good, good pretty cool feeling going on such you know high quality shows as those. Right, and and like I, and like you said, everybody kind of wanted in on the game, and there were. There was you wouldn't imagine. Uh, Kerry Tharp at the time was the media uh, relations director. Mm. You couldn't imagine the things he had to turn down for things like Oprah, things like that. That wow. uh, there were just so many people uh, wanted a piece. Uh, but going on uh, Leno Letterman to Today Show, uh, things like that, it, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, and just the, being able to represent South Carolina at all these venues. Uh, I can remember getting a a, a call from. Uh, the the president Sorensen at the time the uh, school president uh, and saying that I guess they had a uh, a meeting of uh, of the board and they were talking about uh, I guess one of their things is budgeting in for uh, for public relations type of stuff and how much uh, things are worth uh, to the university as far as exposure and uh, he was telling me that they had uh, figured out that. Uh, the exposure that South Carolina had received uh, off of uh, what was going on was probably in almost a $2 million uh, price uh, payment as far as uh, what, what, it, what it would cost the university to actually uh, have a PR firm or anybody uh, put that much publicity out on the university. So, so it was a great thing for the university. And uh, obviously, I uh, enjoyed uh, my time doing it and representing the university also. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I was going to go back to your career because we talked a little bit about it earlier, but you play with some pretty you know, noteworthy Gamecock wide receivers, I would say, guys like Troy Williamson, uh, Sidney Rice. You, know, you play with a guy like Savelle Newton, who was a fantastic athlete. Uh, who right. would you say – and you got to spend a ton of time in the wide receiver rooms as well. Who would you say is the best Gamecocks wide receiver that you were able to play with? Well, obviously, from a talent standpoint, uh, it would be Sidney Rice uh, as far as just overall talent. Uh, uh, obviously, Troy Williamson was is right up there with him as far as a talent. Uh, obviously, Troy was a first-round draft choice. Uh, Sidney went later uh, in the draft, but uh, was just an uh, amazing, amazing athlete. And uh, got a story later about him too. Uh, but and then also Kenny McKinley was a. Uh, uh, Came in in 2005. I played with Kenny. I played with uh, Jared Cook, uh, and also uh, 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 OJ Murdoch was in there at the time. So receivers with great talent uh, coming through that program. But I would say uh, Sydney probably was, uh, you know, the cream of the crop as far as uh, uh, just overall talent and uh, amazing ability. Absolutely. So uh, as far as your playing career, I want to ask you one last question about your playing career and then I want to get your take on some more uh, mm-hmm. current Gamecock football because I, I know I follow you a lot and you have a lot of opinions I definitely want to talk about. But uh, is there one thing, one memory for you that stands out as your favorite memory as a Gamecock? Well, uh, you know, just being able to uh, interact with all my teammates, uh, it was like it was really, really was when they say it's family, it really was uh uh, a big family, uh, 
still have friends uh, to this day, obviously, and, and we all get together every once in a while. I've been to uh, my teammates' weddings. Uh, so it's, you know, just the fraternity of players is the most amazing part uh, of being a Gamecock and being part of that team. Obviously playing for two Hall of Fame coaches and Coach Holtz and Coach Spurrier uh, was uh, is outstanding and something you can talk about, you know, for, for generations to come. So, you know, this program is it's just amazing. And I think, you know, Coach Muschamp has it on the right track. And as far as uh, recruiting and bringing in players, you can't beat what this program has to offer now as far as facilities, academics, uh, and just the, and overall what this program can offer. Absolutely. So we're going to get to current day Gamecock football. And the reason <laughs> I want to talk with you about it, because like I said, uh, you're a fantastic follow on Twitter. I mean, I love that, you know, you're actually able to, you know, voice your opinion. I mean, I don't, I don't think you really you – know, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think you really care how people feel about your opinion. You're going to kind of say how you feel and just call it like it is, which I can certainly appreciate because that's, that's what we do as well. But uh, talk about, you know, obviously the 2018 season it did not end on, <clears throat> excuse me, the note that we all hoped it would. I was actually at the game in Charlotte and obviously just a brutal performance. I mean, a shutout loss to Virginia. But overall – Looking at – you talked a little bit about Muschamp. Looking at year three, Gamecocks go seven and six. And, again, not the year that South Carolina fans wanted, but I do think that there is help on the way as far as recruiting with guys like Zach Pickens, Ryan Holinsky, Cam Smith, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But just talk about your overall take on the 2018 season for South Carolina. Right. Well, I think it got set up early because of the the finish last year. And I think a lot of people – kind of had high expectations for this team based on how the Gamecocks finished out last year and then the amount of wins uh, that they were able to have last year. And a lot of that, you know, obviously was due to some uh, the defense uh, providing turnovers, uh, the ball bouncing our way some days. Uh, so we, there were some games that we could have lost as well as we won uh, last year. So the expectations came in very high for this year, especially with the amount of talent uh, that was returning on the offense. Uh, I, I felt from the beginning of the season there was going to be uh, uh, problems on the defense, especially in the line and more notably in the secondary uh, because of because of the youth. And I think that kind of uh, showed itself, reared its kind of ugly head during the year uh, because there was really no consistency uh, on the defense as far as a pass rush mm-hmm. and a, as far as being able to cover uh, man-to-man in, in the, the secondary. So I think that kind of bore its head. Uh, especially towards the end of the season uh, against better teams. And the the team was really kind of Jekyll and Hyde, uh, looking at some of their performances during the year then looking at that performance against Clemson towards the end of the year where you, you know, again, raised fans' expectations and to the big letdown, obviously, uh, in the belt bowl. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I, I know you, you've done your best, obviously, and you've stayed pretty close to the program. I know I talk with others that talk about – how Will Muschamp is doing a fantastic job with getting the Gamecock alumni kind of back in the building, back around campus, um, just back around the program. Because I'm a big believer that you can't move forward without recognizing kind of where you've been and, you know, giving credit to those people that assisted in building up to the point that South Carolina is now. And, you know, the success that they had, you know, 2010 to 13 was only because of people like yourself that sort of laid the foundation, if you will, and set the culture up. Um, what is your relationship like, if any, with Will Muschamp, and kind of what's your overall opinion on um, on him? 
Right. Uh, well, as far as uh, the relationship, and like you said, he's done a lot uh, for the alumni as far as uh, obviously instituting the alumni game, uh, which happens before the spring game, which brings a lot of alumni mm. uh, back to the university. Uh, the, he's really involved in uh, getting uh, more functions lined up and getting the alumni involved. So we're able to, uh, you know, talk with him and kind of, uh, uh, you know, let our feelings uh, uh, known to him as to uh, the direction of the program or kind of uh, what uh, alumni kind of expect uh, should happen in the program as far as recognition of the alumni. So he's been very attuned to, uh, you know, suggestions. And uh, I, we think he's doing a, a great job as far as uh, instituting the alumni because it really does bridge that gap. Uh, it, it really does uh, for alumni to be able to talk with the younger players and them to, to look back and who participated at the program and that uh, they really enjoyed their time at the program. That's, that's important to uh, mm. uh, the current players. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, back to you, Tim, obviously, because I want to wrap up mm-hmm. here. I don't want to keep you too long. But since no, life, life, life after football, um, just let everybody know, kind of let Gamecock fans know what Tim Frisbee, um, what life after football has been like for you. Right. Well, um, I currently I'm, uh, what that, I'm the Ballot Program Coordinator. I work for South Carolina's Attorney General, Alan Wilson. Uh, so I work right there in the state house grounds and uh, run the Military Ballot Program, which is a statewide uh, program which assists uh, military, uh, mainly military retirees and their dependents in getting services uh, once they're done with their military careers because a lot of the uh, uh, veteran services are, are being cut, especially on the active duty posts like Fort Jackson and some of the surrounding posts uh, that used to offer uh, programs and used to offer assistance, especially legal assistance to um, military veterans. A lot of that stuff's being cut. So we're kind of bridging the gap uh, between that and offering those services to them. So uh, that's where I'm currently working, um, uh, having a great time there. And like you said, staying uh, in touch with the program and uh, uh you know, if they ask me if there's something I can provide or do for them uh, as far as speaking, anything anything of that nature, I'm glad to do it for uh, the university. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you've been a great ambassador to the university. And I know Gamecock fans, I, I, like, again, I think I can speak for all Gamecock fans when we say we truly do appreciate, um, you know, your service for one, but what you did for the university as well. I mean, obviously kind of came about because of your, you know, being on the team and playing, but giving the uh, – I guess representing the university in the right way, as far as when you got kind of the, uh, the got in the public eye, the national eye, if you will. So I know that I appreciate it. I know Gamecock fans do as well. And again, like I said, Tim is a fantastic follow on social media. Again, I love that you just kind of give your opinions. Um, let everybody know just where they can find you so they can follow along. Well, obviously on, uh, on Twitter, they can follow me at, uh, I am, uh, Tim Frisbee 89, just like that. I am Tim Frisbee 89. Uh, that's on Twitter. Uh, I'm uh, Frizz, F-R-I-Z, 89 on Instagram. Uh, those are my, the main two platforms uh, that I'm usually on. Uh, like I said, I love to engage with the fans. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, they love it. You know, I, don't, I never like uh, people who have uh, 30,000 followers and they're only following uh, 10 people on Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. You're supposed to engage uh, with the fans and uh, – follow as many as you can and uh, engage with them uh, because uh, obviously they have uh, they have a lot of inquiries and like some 
insight or inside knowledge that someone may have towards the team and uh, they enjoy it and, uh, and I enjoy engaging with them also. Absolutely, for sure. Go follow Tim Pops Frisbee. Um, again, Tim, really do appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing your story and uh, definitely love to have you back on again soon. Not a problem. And uh, again, you're doing a great thing here. Uh, we've heard from, uh, heard from some players we haven't heard from in a long time. And you're bringing them back into the light and allowing them to uh, tell their stories. Uh, and that's important because there's always two sides to a story, you know. Mm-hmm. And as, as you've seen, uh, interviewing a lot of these guys, that, uh, that the, you know, there's two sides. You know, university may have it one way, uh, and the student athlete may have saw it a different way or may agree with some of the things that went on or may not. But uh, that, that's all about the journey. Yeah, and you really hit the nail on the head for me. I can say we really do appreciate the kind words, first off, just about our show. We really appreciate uh, hearing that feedback. But, yeah, I mean, definitely I would say for me personally, I mean, the interviews like yourself, again, you're talking about a lot of a lot of former Gamecocks that people maybe haven't heard from in a while, getting those guys on, hearing their stories, um, even when it's good or bad. I mean, again, you talked a little bit earlier about the Savelle Newton interview. Yeah. I, I think just, again, like you said, everyone's experience is different. I don't think Savelle said anything that – you know, put the program down in any way. He just gave his honest opinion on what his experience was like, and that I could really appreciate. So, um, yeah, well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I said, and him being, like I said, probably one of the best overall athletes that would come out of the program, I could see where, uh, you know, he had some issues at uh, times with uh, how he was being used. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he kind of aired that, but believe me, I know Savelle. Savelle loves the program. Uh, he was away from it for some time because of some of the feelings he had towards it, but. Uh, not, not there's not too many better guys out there than Savelle. A great guy. Uh, he was a great teammate, and uh, you know he loved being a game time. Absolutely, and as were you, man. Again, we we really do appreciate everything you did from your service to on the field to uh, the way you represented the university. Really do appreciate you, and like I said, would love to get you back on again soon. Not a problem. Thank you. All right, thanks so much. So for Tim Pops Frisbee and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of Spurs Up. Show. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.